email did you I, I really have no idea. But it turns out the percentage of emails that are spam is increasing very, very fast. You know, if it wasn't for spam, I don't think I'd get any email at all. <laughs> really? Yeah. So according to statistics, about 50% of emails were spam in October, and it was it had gone up to about 62% in December. Doesn't surprise me. I've seen an increase in spam. So what, what can we do about getting rid of the spam, I think, is the big question. Unfortunately, not too much. But I, the thing that you know the public should be aware of right now is the new uh, forum where all this junk is going to proliferate is in the uh, instant messaging. These pop-up things. Right. And just to show how smart these spammers are, they have programs in which you know they have white letters on white backgrounds so that these programs can't detect them. And then they somehow come in and uh, break down your file wall or something like that, so then later other crap can come oh, in. Oh, dear. And this after we've we've stopped the telemarketers from calling us at home. Have we? I don't know. Well, uh, supposedly, you can get on that do not call list. It doesn't seem to work for me. They just like you that much. You're the friend to all the salesmen. Well, if you want to maybe investigate their options here, where can they go? Well, there's a nice summary in the recent edition of The New Scientist. Well, that's kind of a depressing article about spam, <laughs> I'd have to say. Uh-huh. But one of the good things that spam does not have is prion. Prion. Prion, those mad cow disease-causing proteins. Not exactly viruses, but just as deadly. They're huh? just proteins that uh, cause all kinds of problems, but there apparently it looks like there's going to be a good side to these prions. Really? Or at least uh, the natural function of them might actually be important in memory. Uh-huh. So a group of researchers led by Eric Kandel and his postdoc, Kalk C at Columbia University, have found out that the natural form of this prion on certain types of proteins in the nerve cells Mm -hmm. actually may be involved in forming long-term memories. Really? So are they suggesting that some of these uh, structures in the brain utilize these prions for long-term memory? Or at least prion-like sequences. It's it's thought that somehow these prion sequences allow the formation of stable complexes in certain parts of the neuron Mm -hmm. that allow active synapses to be formed and strengthened. It's almost like computer memory where, you know, you just have some material and you can switch on the state or switch off the state right. of a molecule, not without without actually changing it, but just the state of it. Right, right. And that's, in a way, what they're suggesting the prion might be doing, kind of like acting like a little transistor for the, the neuron. Wow. This is certainly very cool stuff and definitely deserves more than a brief mention. And if you want to look more, you can take a look at the recent edition of Cell, Volume 115. And that's all for a look at recent developments in the world of science and technology. You're listening to Berkeley Grox only here on 90.7 FM, KALX. Well, coming up next, Mr. Greg Stebbin will join us to discuss overcoming technophobia. So stay tuned. only here on 90.7 FM, KALX. Well, with the Christmas season now finally over, many of us will still be puzzling over those latest technology gadgets we may have received. But is it the gadgets that have gotten more complicated, or is it that our ability to figure out the supposedly simple machinery has declined? Well, joining us today on Berkeley Grox to shed some light on this issue is Mr. Greg Stebbin. 
Mr. Stebbin is the author of over 10 books, including Internet Privacy for Dummies, and he is also Best Buy's tech guy. And he joined us today to shed some light on these uh, common technology gadgets. Uh, Mr. Stebbin, thank you very much for joining us today on Berkeley Grocks. You bet. It's great to be here, Charles. It's certainly a pleasure, because I think uh, many of our listeners out there might still be fumbling over uh, the latest technology gadgets they may have received for Christmas. So is it that the gadgets have gotten a little more complicated, or uh, are, are we just losing our ability to figure these things out? Well, actually, I think it's a combination of things, but I don't think we're losing our ability to figure things out. I think we're actually getting better and better at figuring things out. I think we're assimilating information, and we're much more comfortable with technology. But the other thing you said, I think it contains a, a big kernel of truth, and that is that as things get smaller, you know, let's take a digital camera. As things get smaller, and yet we look for more and more functionality and bells and whistles in it, it by necessity has to become more complicated to fit in all those little things. Right. But I do think that on the whole, we're a lot better at figuring technology out than we were, say, 10 years ago. And in fact, uh, we did a survey at Best Buy and we asked some of our shoppers about where do you go when you need help with technology and what kind of things give you the most trouble figuring them out. Mm -hmm. And, you know, 10 years ago, everybody knew the joke about the flashing 12 o'clock on your VCR right. and everyone would laugh about how they couldn't program it. Right. Today, the VCR is somewhere down in the middle of a list of things we have trouble with. We've pretty much mastered the VCR, even if that means putting a piece of duct tape over the, <laughs> over the flashing 12 o'clock. Well, well, that's one way. <laughs> that is one. I mean, but, you know, sometimes the best thing is just to give in and say, I don't care about the flashing light or whatever that is. I'm just going to use it to the best of my ability. Mm. But I think one of the things that's interesting is what we found when we did the survey was 59% of the people we talked to said, oh, you know, when I have to figure out some piece of technology, mm -hmm. I just figure it out for myself. 59%, I mean, that's... That's a really great statistic because I guess in reality, if someone gives you, say, a digital camera or you go and buy one, even if you have a friend who comes over and shows you how to use it, ultimately you're going to have to figure it out for yourself anyway. You're, you're really not going to assimilate or learn what you need to know to use it on an everyday basis until you fumble around with it and make some mistakes and finally master it. Right, right. Uh, I saw also on, the, on your statistic there that one of the most interesting things is that only 10% uh, of us will ask our kids for help. Yeah, I think there's a little vanity here. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, a lot of parents, well, I don't want to look dumb in front of my kids. Right. Because your children are the most logical place for you to look for help because they grew up with these things and they're playing with them all the time. So I think that there's a little ego there. But it is interesting. One of the things we found is that the second most common place people go for help is from a friend. And I think that's brilliant because, again, let's go back to the digital camera. If you have a friend who's into digital photography, that friend would love to come over to your house or meet you somewhere and play with your new camera because he or she doesn't want one and is probably thinking about getting one. Right. And, and your friends are just a fountain of information. Almost everybody has a friend who's a digital photography nut and a cell phone nut and a printer nut and a computer nut. And that's your personal network and you should use it to get the help you need. Hmm. And even fewer of us will break down and actually call tech support. Well, I think we've learned that sometimes there's a long wait. And, well, here's the interesting thing. You know, sometimes what I'll do is if I'm having trouble with something, I'll call tech support. I'll put the phone on speakerphone. And then I'll go to the company's website that made the product, and I'll just start surfing around the knowledge base. Mm -hmm. Often I know more about the problem I'm calling about than the tech support person I reach by the time they reach me. Mm -hmm. And as often as not, I've actually solved the problem before they even come on the line, and I can just hang up the phone and not even bother with them. So does it seem like uh, solving the problem for yourself usually works out best rather than uh, resorting to somebody else? Or? Well, I, th I think ultimately, 
you know, I guess we have to group people into different categories. But if you are someone who is interested in technology and naturally inquisitive, I think you will always gain from trying to find the answer yourself because you're going to come to a deeper understanding of the piece of machinery. Mm-hmm. And, and probably coming to a deeper understanding of this piece of machinery is probably going to aid you in dealing with other pieces of machinery too. Because, I mean, look, things are more user-friendly than they were 10 years ago. Right. And there generally is a kind of logic that a device will use that tends to be transferable to other devices because I think the device manufacturers are learning from each other about what works best for the user to make it more user-friendly. I, I certainly think so. So you mentioned earlier that uh, the VCR has gone down in the pack of troubling uh, gadgets. So what's the hardest, or what are some of the hardest uh, gadgets that we've had? Well, the top two things are uh, TiVo or replay machines, mm. digital personal recorders. And that actually doesn't surprise me because now you're getting into programming your preferences of television and having it set it up to begin working with your preferences and give you what it thinks are other things you will like. The other thing is the personal digital assistant, and that doesn't surprise me as well because there is an incredible amount of functionality, including writing on a screen, choosing dates, and there's a lot of margin for error there until you learn how to use it. And nobody who has a PDA wants to miss appointments, but inevitably, yeah. in the beginning, there's a learning curve and those kind of things do happen. Right. They, they wind up taking a little more time than actually saving it. I always joke with people when they call me and say, you know, can we meet at 2 o'clock? And, you know, I'm on my screen looking and, you know, dealing with my calendar program. And I always joke and say, you know, I'm, everything's on a computer now, so it takes longer. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's, you have to look at the overall advantages of technology, though. You know, in the days where I carried a paper planner with me, I could whip it open to the right page, look and write down a new appointment, mm-hmm. and bing, bang, boom, that was done. Right. It does take longer for me to do it with a computer, but the overall advantage of having my calendar and my phone numbers and everything else digitally stored on a computer, I couldn't even begin to catalog the advantages of that. And, you know, the paper planner, if I lost it, was gone forever today if something happens to my hard drive, my calendar and my phone numbers are still on my PDA. They're also backed up over here and over here and over mm-hmm. here. There's a level of security and an overall benefit in terms of efficiency and, and uh, peace of mind that I think a paper planner never could have given you. That's true. That's true. You also bring up an issue, interesting issues that uh, backing up a lot of your electronic data is very important, and I think a lot of people don't do that. Well, yeah, let's talk about that because so many people got digital cameras this year for the holidays. Mm-hmm. And then I'll also lump in here MP3 players. You know, you have to stop and think. If you're taking a lot of photos in a digital camera, eventually the camera is going to be full and you're going to download them into your computer. Mm-hmm. Well, what happens if your hard drive dies? Mm-hmm. It used to be that, you know, the family photos were under the bed in a shoebox. Right. They're not anymore. So if you're not backing up your computer, you not only risk losing your email and love letters and whatever else, your tax documents, but you also risk losing literally all of your family memory. So I think backing up is more important now than it's ever been. So are there any uh, good solutions out there for uh, quick and easy backups that uh, people can try and get? Yeah, I, I think there's a couple ways to do it that are pretty easy. One is if you've bought a new computer recently or you're thinking about buying a new computer, one real smart thing to do is just save the old computer and either through your network or or by buying a commercial product that includes a cable and a software, begin to back up the new computer onto the old computer and get some kind of software that will enable you to do that on a regular basis, whether it be every night at 2 in the morning or every Friday at 8 or whatever it is. But get this system going that will happen automatically. You know, use technology to help you 
so you don't have to think about it anymore. Uh, there are also, for more crucial data, there are some online services, and they go by names like backup.com or connected.com, where you pay a small monthly fee, you tell the online service when you want to back up and which files you want to back up, and again, it's an automatic solution as long as you continue to pay the service fee every month. I think that's a very attractive solution for a lot of people because it's completely carefree and there's no... Uh, figuring out uh, software or, you know, how do I network this and that and all those kind of things. It's a huge issue, and it's it's one that I think most people have just kind of said, yeah, yeah, I know I should do that. And I think now, again, with the, with the family photos on the hard drive, backing up is a terrible thing to appreciate the value of mm-hmm. when it's too late. Right. You know, when you're staring at that computer and you've had a meltdown and you realize you're never going to see those pictures again mm-hmm. and there's nothing you can do, that's a terrible time to hit your forehead and say, oh, I wish I would have backed up. Right. Something like 10% of hard drives go bad, mm-hmm. but that's not the only thing that can happen. You know, you could have a fire, you could have a flood, you could have a, a power surge. I mean, there's lots of ways your data could be corrupted, and it just would be really unfortunate to lose your data because you didn't take a little some steps to take care of it in advance. Mm-hmm. So we, we've chatted a little bit about some of the, the harder uh, gadgets to figure out. So what are some of the easiest, and uh, <laughs> why, why are they getting easier in some respects? And... Well, I mean, some of them are easy just because they're easy. Yeah. For instance, a flat-screen TV, pretty easy to hook up. You uh, take that thing with two prongs on it and stick it in the wall. (laughs) Now, you do have to hook the cable box up to it and the VCR, and that can get in the DVD player. That can get a little more complicated. But even DVD players are pretty simple. I mean, look, these are... These are pieces of technology that have essentially been around forever, and, mm-hmm. and we just don't struggle with them anymore. Right. Or have the manufacturers even tried to make them more ergonomically friendly? Well, I, I definitely think that part of it is that the manufacturers have learned how to make devices simpler for us. I mean, let's just talk about networking a computer. Ten years ago, that you had to call an engineer or, you know, be kind of a underground computer person yourself to figure it out. I mean, there were so many nuances and subtleties required in understanding how to make everything work together. And today, you pretty much, you know, plug a network cable in and boom, you're done. Or I was with a friend of mine yesterday and he just got a uh, DSL modem. And I said, gee, do you need any help with that? He said, no, it took me about five minutes. That would Hmm. not have been the case five years ago. Hmm. You know, look, I mean, if you're an early adopter and you're picking up a piece of technology or a service early in its life, it is going to be more complicated because there hasn't been a lot of time there to work out the bugs. But there's certainly an economic advantage to the manufacturer to make it easier and easier for everyone to use because that's how things ultimately get adopted on a wide basis. In your position, are you seeing uh, any new uh, gadgets coming down the line that maybe we should be fearing or dreading having to try and work with? I haven't seen anything you should dread (laughs) because I think those things tend to go away pretty quickly or get easier to use. Mm -hmm. There are an awful lot of really nifty technological advances coming. You know, of course, we just have the Consumer Electronics Show. Mm -hmm. One of the things that was uh, introduced there that I thought was really great and a pretty obvious innovation is a wireless stereo system in which you'll be able to buy a little box fairly inexpensively, hook it up to your computer, and it will enable you to listen to all the music on your hard drive wirelessly through any other set of speakers in the house or any other receiver or stereo system. And I think we'll see that. I think we'll see similar things for television so that, uh, let's say you have a TV down in the living room that you want to watch a movie in a bedroom, you'll just have this wireless box and it'll send the signal to the TV in the bedroom and you won't have to, 
either have a second box or, you know, keep unplugging it and moving it around the house, which is what we do here at my house. <laughs> <laughs> I think that should certainly make things a little more convenient there. Well, I mean, I think, I think ultimately wireless is going to be the next thing that we all adopt. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, it's another thing that has gotten very simple. It's essentially plug and play. And right. so if you can pick up an appliance and move it to another part of the house or out in the backyard and enjoy it there, and it's simple and affordable to do so, why wouldn't you want to do so? Right. I thought I'd read also that some cities are considering uh, setting up large wireless networks. Well, yeah, I think we're moving in that direction. I mean, you see, year or two years ago, it was big news when Starbucks got together with T-Mobile and introduced a wireless network in the Starbucks coffee mm-hmm. shops. I was just in a Borders bookstore. They also have the T-Mobile network. Verizon has rolled out a similar network. So I think we will reach a point where someone with a laptop or a PDA that's wireless will essentially be able to hook into a network almost anywhere or not have to walk or travel very far to get one. Well, it looks like you're running a little bit out of time, but just as a final note, where can those of us who are technologically impaired or go to uh, help us with our problems? I'll tell you one of, the, one of the things we haven't talked about, but I think is a great tip, is if you've got a new electronic gadget and you need some help with it, go to Google and most of us use Google to search the Internet. I mean, that's kind of the default place you go when you type in Google.com. But if you notice near the top, just below the search field, there's a series of five tabs, and one of them says Groups. If you click on the Groups tab and then type in the brand name and model number of whatever it is you're playing around with, let's call it a digital camera, mm-hmm. go to Groups and type in the brand name and model number. What you'll find there is just a host of discussion boards where there are other people just like you who have this camera and who are playing around with it, and they're discussing different benefits and features of it, asking each other questions, answering each other's questions, and having a really great time as sort of a just spontaneous, natural community of owners of this thing. You don't have to go any further than your computer. And all of a sudden, you've just got all these friends to call on when you have a problem or you have a question, and you also have some people to share your knowledge with. And I think that's a great place to get information about something, a particular device you're playing with, because, you know, ultimately... Who better to help you than someone else who's sitting there playing around with it and having a good time with it just as you are? Uh, We are definitely out of time, though, but I just want to thank you very much uh, for joining us today in Berkeley Gronx and giving us these uh, helpful tips. You bet. Great to be here, Charles. Thanks for inviting me on the show. You were just listening to Mr. Greg Stubbin explaining how to deal with everyday technology gadgets. You're listening to Berkeley Gronx only here on 90.7 FM KALX. Well, coming up next, you can find out how much hot air you really have. So stay tuned.
Well, welcome back to Berkeley Glocks, only here on 90.7 FM KALX. Well, have you ever wondered what causes curly hair? You can find out on this week's edition of Everyday Science. Ever wonder what makes some hair straight and some curly? The answer can be found in Everyday Science. speaking, hair texture is inherited from mom and dad, but there are obvious structural differences between curly and straight hair that contribute to its appearance. This hair salon looks like a great place to head off any confusion. Let's hop into those freshly washed locks right over there. Hmm, this hair looks pretty straight. Notice how it grows from bad light structures called follicles, which rest just below the surface of the skin. Let's go down there. Here, in the follicle, you can see hair beginning to take shape, literally. As it forms underneath us at the root, it pushes its way up into the follicle and conforms to the follicle's shape. And this woman's follicle is round. So as the hair moves upward, it becomes round, which means it has equal optimum strength in any direction with no weak points. That's what makes it grow straight. Now, if we head over to that woman there, we find ourselves in a tangled mass of curly hair. And if we look at her follicles, we can see that they're oval. And as her hair grows upward and takes the follicles oval shape, the hair fiber is slightly uneven, growing stronger at the ends of the oval, but weaker and more flexible in the middle, forcing a into the strand of hair. Glad we got that straight. Thanks for being a part of Everyday Science. Everyday Science is part of Bayer Corporation's national education program, making science make sense. Oh, thank you very much, Everyday Science lady. You know, you've straightened out more than just my hair. And coming up next is the Tokyo Kid with the answer to last week's question of the week. Take it away. Ah, welcome back, and uh, I am the Tokyo Kid back for this week's answer to last week's question of the week. How much air do we breathe every day? In the metric system, it is uh, approximately 20 square meters every day. Well, yee-haw, boy, howdy, boy, that sounds really darn interesting. How exactly is that that you have so much hot air coming out of all of us every day? Well, that's kind of interesting, but I've always wondered, how do hot air balloons rise in the sky? Well, if you know the answer to us, think you know the answer, email us here at grox at hotmail.com. You're not going to hear anything, but whoopee, it just might get a little lift in your life. And that's all for this week's edition of Berkeley Grocks. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here at Berkeley Grocks, email us at grocks at hotmail.com. For Berkeley Grocks, I'm Frank Lee. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.grocks.net. Have a great afternoon and stay tuned for more music with your host, Katie.